0: I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 4. The last few weeks, I've been talking about the enemy within, about dealing with things in our lives that control us, that prevent God from having his way in our life, character, flaws mental things, physical things, just things that make us less than what we should be, and God will identify that so we can deal with it, because these things are called strongholds. They hold you. You don't seem to be able to overcome it. That's just the way you are, but you have to deal with it. If you don't deal with strongholds, then you're looking at curses, and and some of those are very hard to break, but... For right now, 1 John chapter 4, another message, but not in the same series. Instead of calling it the enemy within, this message is called the greater one within. And this is the message in verse 4 that we want. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I want to talk about that because I'd like to preach two sermons today, but I'm so slow preaching, I don't know if I can. I'd like to think I could preach two different sermons in the same Sunday. The first Sunday will deal with who the greater one is. Who is he? Who is he? Why is he? I mean, why is he in me? Who is the greater one? Is that an idea, some kind of a thought you should have, or is it a reality? Who is the greater one that is within you? Now, greater than who or greater than what? Because the Bible clearly says that the reason, if you overcome all these strongholds and problems and difficulties in your life, if you're overcoming them and you're growing, it is because. What is the because referred to? It is because greater is he that is in you who is prompting, leading, teaching, inspiring, and building you than he that is in the world. So greater than who? Well, what's in the world? The first three verses, like the verse 1 here, 1 John chapter 4, it ends with the word the world because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The world is the devil's playground. It's where he does his work. It's where all of his glamour and his bright lights and his false promises are. All those things in the world that appeal to a a mass of humanity that is perishing is designed to rule you and control you and defeat you. It's the world. God goes so far to say that if you love the world, you don't love God. So we have to ask ourselves, do I love the world more than I love God? Would I put the world and its systems and its ways and its pleasures before God? Would I do that? Would I seek after the world more than I would seek after God? Do I care more about having the world than I do about having God? Am I more concerned about being accepted by the world than I am accepted by God? Is my time and determination about the world, or is it about God? See, I can answer all of those questions. I may not want to before you, you might say. But you can answer every one of those questions. All you have to do is look at your choices. Look at your life. That's our enemy. It really is. I mean, the things that we can't let go of are the things that keep us from God. The boyfriend, the girlfriend, the live in somebody that you just can't let go of, that's who controls you. That's why you can't please or trust in the Lord. Because of something this world has attracted you to, that has put its grips on you, and now you can't let go of it. You want God, you have a feeling and an emotion about God and godly things and Jesus, but you just can't let go of it. Or making money, you just can't give up an opportunity to make more money when there's a chance to go to church. I mean, at church, you can do that any time. And we start thinking like that because that's the influence and the effect the world has on us. It's a great tug and a great pull. But the Bible says, and especially as he goes on to say in verse 2 and 3 about false prophets and spirits and religious spirits, especially that twist and distort the word, he said, but greater... The one who is in you is greater than the sum total of all the world. You see, whatever the world is, whatever it has, whatever promise or threats it makes to you, God is bigger than the world. There is nothing in the world, there is nothing manufactured by the world or the devil, who's the prince of the power of the air, called the little God of of this world there is nothing that he can do. There is nothing he can bring forth to prevent God from doing what God's going to do. I said earlier about my life, 45 years, how many times I didn't know if I could make it, didn't I, why should I make it, why would God want to fool, and you know, just blah, 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 look what I did, I just can't, And, and here I still am, because you see, God is able. If he picks some, sluggardly sinner out of a miry clay like I was, a pitiful specimen of humanity, and he chooses by his divine power to do a work in that vessel, that vessel is going to have a work done in it. And nothing's going to keep God from doing his work in me. I don't always know that. It doesn't look like it's going to work. Sometimes, boy, I, I might as well give up and quit. Well, I could do it, you know. But somehow you keep up and again and coming back and you keep pressing in because something that you can't fully define but now you're being taught, something in your life is keeping you from giving up and it's God because the devil cannot keep God from doing the work that he started, nothing. There is nothing that God has declared and decreed to do that the devil can keep from being done. Including getting you, if you're his, getting you into heaven. We may stumble and fall and back away a bit and wander and just because by nature, spiritually, we're all weaklings. We're not strong. We need strength, and that's why He gives us His. But by nature, we're all weaklings. We give up easy. Some of the most heady people are some of the weakest people in the world can't stand much of any opposition or adversity. And we're like that, and yet somehow or another, let's call it God, we stayed put because God is able. The greater one within us is greater than any opposition that the world can throw at you. Nothing can keep God from doing what God said he's going to do. Take our verse of Scripture, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor is he the son of man that he should repent. If God has said it, God will do it. Well, that looks like... No, if God said it, he will do it. If God has spoken it, he will make it good. When God sent his word to this earth to accomplish his pleasure, his pleasure will be accomplished. No matter... How many times it doesn't look like it's going to happen with those to whom he has sent his word, it will do what he said it will do. God will see to it. That's That's what he's given us. Now, when that gets in your heart, when you can factor that down into your thinking and assimilate all of that and see the picture and focus in on it, you're going to be strong in the Lord because you're going to see that you're not living by your might, you're living by his. Now, you play a role in this thing, but the Bible does say after you have suffered for a while, he will finish the work that he started, 1 Peter 5.10. He said he would. When you talk about God being greater, we're talking about the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has no opposition, the one with whom nobody can stay his hand, the one who, when he starts something, he finishes something and doesn't ask permission if he can. He's in you. The very fact that just three pages back to your left, Second Peter chapter 1, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Notice, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know why you escape? Because you've got something inside of you that causes you to escape. God didn't save you in hope that you have enough whatever it takes to make it to the kingdom. You can't make it in the kingdom without God. When he lifted you out of the miry clay, he has to do all the work in you that enables you to do what you got to do. You can't do it yourself. That's why he's called the greater one. He is able. Genesis 18 said this, nothing is too difficult for God. Including you including your current situation in your home, your body, your mind, your children, your family, your money, nothing is too difficult for God. We don't know how it's going to work. God already knows. In Jeremiah 32, he said there is nothing too hard for God. And by the way, in Genesis 18, when he was talking about nothing is too difficult, you know, he had announced that Sarah, who was going to be 90 when it happened, she was going to have a baby, a 90-year-old woman going to have a baby. Oh, that just doesn't make sense. doesn't have to make sense. God doesn't base what he does on what makes sense to us. God doesn't condescend to have to act in the level of our laws on this earth. I mean, our laws say that you can't stand on water. You can fill your tub up this evening when you go home and see if you can stand on the bathtub in, in the water. Because there are laws that determine how that cannot be. And yet God doesn't live by man's laws. When you start raising the dead and multiplying fishes and you take four or five little pieces of fish and, and end up with 12 basketfuls left over, having fed five to 10,000 people with a few fishes and got this much left over, you can't explain that. But see, God is greater than what you can explain. God isn't limited to what one plus one equals or two plus two equals. God is not hindered or bound by our realm. He is greater than whatever we're in, whatever system of men, whatever designs in our minds and hearts and lives. He's bigger than all of that. I mean, he's greater than all of that. But if we don't know that, all that means is it's just a Bible story and some theological truth but it's not a living reality and it's gotta be. I mean, it's got to be. My faith is based on God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means absolute rule. Sovereignty means that God is in supreme and unrestricted authority. There is nothing beside, nothing beyond God. He is in absolute, total control because he's sovereign. That's the basis for faith. You're not praying to somebody who might or could. You're praying to somebody who said he would. He said he would. And he's already said that what you're praying, nothing is too difficult for you because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think Amen. because he's God. He's greater. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in the heavens and that are in the earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Well, then he's greater than all things. He has what we call the preeminence. Verse 18, and he is ahead head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now go to Ephesians chapter one, look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power shown in the universe, not available to ordinary man? Y'all not there yet because nobody opposed that. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. That means us. He has a preeminence. He has all power. He has all might. God has displayed his power when he raised him from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. The best shot the devil has in life is death. That's his whole goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he can do. But death couldn't hold Jesus. God raised him from the dead. Forever signifying that death no longer has its right to the human race. That power has been dismissed from those who will trust the Lord anyway. And this power is given to the church. And it's inside of you. It's called the divine nature. Nothing is too difficult for God. If he started something, he'll finish it. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. You know why? Because he's God. Simply because he is God. What did Jesus say when he came back from his resurrection? After he was resurrected, went to heaven, came back to the earth, and he appeared in that room? What did he say? In Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Where are you, Lord? I will dwell in your hearts by faith. In here. This is where he will be. Doing what? Well, we'll get to that later. But you got to know that he's in there doing something. He's not in there just taking his time. We'll get there in a moment. But let's go back to sovereignty for a moment. What does it mean to you that God is sovereign? Does it mean to you that God is in absolute control of all creation? Yes. Well, if you're part of his creation, is he in absolute control of you? Can he actually order your steps to go where he wants them to go? And he can also allow you to stumble along the way if that's necessary to get your attention, like chastisement. But God is the one who orders steps because he can. Would you mind going to Daniel? let me just exalt the lord for a moment daniel chapter 4 it says this more than once in the book of daniel but in daniel chapter 4 in verse 35 listen at these words now he's speaking this to a man called nebuchadnezzar a very powerful figure in the bible maybe a little mean but he was powerful dominant and he was full of himself God didn't do this to other rulers, but he did it to this ruler, this particular ruler. He made him to lose his mind. He began to crawl on the earth like a beast, like an animal. The monarch crawling around, his nails grew out. He had dew on him in the morning. I guess he got grew hair, I don't know. But he was out there like some kind of a strange alien from outer space. Couldn't function normally. No more conversation, but why they didn't get rid of him, I don't know, but he should remain the monarch. And this is why he went through all of that. God took a man who thought he was a ruler of the world and showed him just how insignificant a man could actually be when God deals with him so that he could learn one thing, one divine theological truth that Christians don't apparently know, but we should know. And it has to do with God's sovereignty. God said this in verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? God asks nobody their permission to do anything. I remember years ago, a so-called faith preacher was telling us how that, God had to ask Adam's permission to do something. And I think how foolish, even then, I thought how foolish that is. That God would have to ask a man if he could have the right to do something. The Bible says here that God does as he pleases in the kingdom of man. He does what he desires in heaven. He has no opposition. Nobody can say, well, that's not right. Nobody can say, well, you can't do that. He does it. In fact, if you go back two books to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, this is interesting, Isaiah 43 and verse 13, yea, before the day was, I am he. Before there was a day, I was there, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who will stop it? Very simple verse, hidden away in Isaiah. I do, he says to his people, the subjects on this earth, made in his likeness, made in his image. He said, I do what I said I would do, whether you like it or not. The story of the potter and the clay. God doesn't have to ask us if he can do this or do that with us. Some might think, well, it's not fair for God to, like in the potter and the clay, make some, some people, some vessels are made this way, and some are just made of nothings. We say in our little kingdom of man down here, well, that's not fair. Well, that's not right. Well, that's, that shouldn't be. And God says, who are you to tell me what I should do with what I've created? Where were you when I created anything? That's what he said to Job. Job thought he knew a lot. Where were you when the wind began to blow? Where did it come from? Where does it go? Where were you when the creatures of their sea monsters were made? How do you explain the skin on their back that cannot be penetrated? How do you explain this or how you explain that? Come on, Job, you know so much. See, God is greater than all of our thoughts, all of our thinking, all of our designs and plans, all of our religious ideas. and Anything that's not according to what he is given to us, he ignores it. Our good works, our great religious efforts. What if I told you they are nothing to God? He had his people make a temple once. They donated millions, maybe billions of dollars in gold and and materials and built this elaborate temple. And when the heart of men turned away from God, while they remained religious... It pleased God to let an enemy come in and destroy the whole thing, take all the gold and leave. All this stuff on this earth means nothing to God. He doesn't need it. We need it. He doesn't. Think of it. Greater is he that is in you. And look at your problems that you have to face. You don't face anything alone. You face nothing alone because God is always with you and he cares for you and he will put you over. He'll bring you through. He didn't save you to leave you alone. When God saved you, he took up his residence inside of you. And the one who lives in our heart, we sing the song, he lives within my heart. He is greater than anything that can be any disease, any flaw, in a bomb, rocket, terrorist, all these things the world is gnashing its teeth after, God has it all under his feet. Psalm 2, he says he will have them in derision. You know why? Because he's God. God is bothered by nothing, worries about nothing. God knows tomorrow before tomorrow gets here. He knows what your tomorrow's gonna be. He's already in our tomorrows. Like the writer of Romans finally had to say, Paul finally had to come to this conclusion. Whom should I be afraid of? What should I be afraid of? If God be for me, who? Who? I mean, what or who can be against me? Think of that. My faith is built on the fact that my God is in absolute control of all events in my life. There's nothing suddenly going to come upon me that, whoops, to, everything is in his control. Used to hear a song, he's got the whole world. Nobody believed it, but they sang it. He's got the whole world in his hands. All of creation was designed to please him. Man has done his level best to corrupt it. The world has tried to tarnish it but God has never been moved by any of it because his plan is still intact. It's going to turn out the way he said. And if you're a Christian, if you really are, if you're really a Christian, the one who started the work in you to make you a Christian is never going to leave you alone. And the work that he started, he will finish it. Amen. Because you see, that brings me to part two. We're moving right along. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Why is the greater one in you? We know who he is. Well, why is he in you? Why wouldn't God be out there in heaven with his arms folded wondering what you're going to do next? Isn't that the common theology that most people have? I read sometimes in the things on the internet, you know, that the theologians, the preachers, right? Well, I don't think God always knows what you're going to do. Well, then he's not God. Then he's not God. If he doesn't know everything, if he doesn't know what you're going to do, then he's not God. Let me go one step further to complicate that. He not only knows what you're going to do, he also makes sure you do it when you're his. And you might want to go astray. He won't even let you go astray. If you're his. Otherwise, he started a good work, but he couldn't finish it. Y'all believe he can finish what he started? Yes. You believe the word he sent to live in your heart will do what it said? Yes. Then you have to believe that because he can. Right. He is God. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult. For, that's My faith is built. My trust and my hope in God is on the fact that if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. You're all I got, Lord. And I'm down here, sometimes the line is right there. You cross the line, he either does something or you're done. And you cross the line and you think, you know, I don't even belong to myself, I belong to you. I'm in your hands. You're the one who told me. He said, put me in remembrance. I remind him of what he said that he would do because he cannot do anything else. I don't mind shouting a little bit. Because God has made me his subject and he has made himself the master over my life. Now, that may not be clear to me. And so I have to struggle. I have to fight this. I don't know if I can. See, I don't know all these things when I come to the Lord. All I know is that one day at a time, but God already has arranged, divinely arranged a life. My steps are going to be ordered by the Lord. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Not because I'm shrewd and clever or strong, but because God orchestrated the whole thing. Everything I have, everything I'll ever be, I owe it all to God. As again, I look back in the last 45 years, if I have not surrendered by now, I can't. But I look back and I think, you know, you have done it all. All the things I thought I'd done, all the times I thought I did pretty good, I did nothing. I'm still an unprofitable servant because you are supreme. You are Lord. You are master. Nothing can conquer you. And with you in me, seated in heavenly places with you, and the same thing you put under your feet, you put under our feet, the church, no wonder he said, why should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? Take no thought then, not even for your life. Well, anything about your life. The world isn't your source, God is your source. Amen. And look at Philippians 2 verse 13. Why is God in you? You know, the simple answer to that is because he wants to be. Because he wants to be. He made you for some reason. Thou art worthy. Remember that song? Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory, glory and honor. Glory and honor and praise. For thou hast created. All things have created. And why did he create all things? At the end of that song? And for... So you know the song. And for thy pleasure. It's Revelation 4. And for thy pleasure. All this creation, all this demonstration of power, all the promise of fulfillment he makes to the church, it's for his pleasure. He saved you for his pleasure. Did you know that? Me? Oh, when I see me as I really am, I think, why would anybody save me? I don't know. I guess because he loved me and wanted to show the world his might and his power to transform wicked, worthless people. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is why God is greater in you. God is at work in you in verse 13, both to will, and to do of his good pleasure. What if I told you this morning, God saved you in whatever state or condition you were in, with whatever flaws and problems and background you had, because he wants to do a work in you that will please him. The transformation of lost people into kingdom people It's pleasing to God. It's a work that he loves, that he brought you to him. When you were born again, you got a new spirit, didn't you? It's okay to say yes. And you got a new nature. Something brand new from heaven called the divine nature was put inside of you. All things become new. You don't know how to deal with it yet. And you're not fully able to understand all the directions you get right away, but it's there. And as you begin to feed yourself on the Word of God and let God begin to deal with you, it starts clearing up and little glimpses of light come in. You begin to see something in a way you've never seen it before, and you begin to grow. This is the work of God. You think, boy, I just want to study all the time. I just want to go, I just want to, go to church. I just want to witness. That's God. God. That's what God does. You're saying it because you sense it and you feel it. But that's what God does. And he gave you the feeling and the sensation and the desire or the quickening because that's what God does. If God doesn't quicken you, you'll never be any different than you are when you got saved. If God doesn't do work in us, we'll never, ever change. We will remain as we were and just be religious. We'll go to church and hope we're good enough to go to heaven. And yet, as God begins to deal with you, at least for me, it may not be for you, but for me, you realize more and more, you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. You never were, you never will be good enough to go to heaven. The goodness comes from God. The work of God is good enough to get you in heaven. I said, the work of God is good enough to get you there. Because all we like sheep, gone astray. Romans 3.10 said there wasn't a righteous one, a good enough one amongst us. And God took people like that. God took people like that and chose to put his spirit, himself, inside of a person's heart and begin to affect A lifelong change in that person's heart to take them from what glorified the world, releasing them from the world, more and more making them out to be what the world hates, but what the kingdom of God was made for. Saints, not ain'ts, saints. And he does this work. And the deeper it gets, the more Solomon grateful You get in your heart because it all starts to focus. Look what he saved. And look what he's done. Look at us here today, even with maybe feeble attempts or maybe great attempts. Look how far you've come from when you started. Have you come from something? Have you grown? Well, look at how far you haven't come. Now I got you responding. Look at what he's done. Look how good it's been. I can't let up and say, "Oh boy, he's with me. I don't have to do it." No, it's not. I want to seek the kingdom. The will of God, the work that he does in me wants me, it makes me to want more because he said he is at work in me both to will and to do. He wants to show me what his will is because there's nothing more Nothing greater on this earth that a Christian can know or do than the will of God. What else can you do that's acceptable? Jesus said, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. But he says, but he that doeth the will of my Father. How important is that? Only God can reveal it. And when he does, you can do it. Amen? Amen. They said, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you outside. Jesus said in Mark 3 or 9, he said, who's my mother and who's my brother? But he that does the will of God. This is who I'm related to. I'm not related to people who attend churches. I'm related to those who are mine. I know them. They know me. If they don't know me, then I will say to them, I never knew you. With all your religious busyness, I never knew you. And yet as God begins to expand his greatness to your thinking and your mind, as he begins doing his work to show you his will and to perform his will and do of his good pleasure, he begins to do a perfecting work in you, a changing work that leads to what we call perfection, the biblical word for perfection, full growth. If you don't mind, go to Hebrews 13. Let me show you where it says that. Hebrews 13 and verse 21 that he said that he would make make you perfect in every good work to what? To do his will. Now stop. What did Philippians 2.13 say? For God is at work in you both to will and to do. He wants to do something through you. Now he says here that God will make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Notice the next word, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. That's it. That's why he is greater inside of you because he's doing a work in you that has to be done. The work that he does in you is changing you. Would you go to another verse about change? Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. If God didn't do this work in you folks, we'd never be changed. You know that? We could never be changed. All we could ever be is religious and like most folks, hope that we're good enough to make it to heaven. But we all with open face or unveiled face beholding as in a mirror this revelation of God, this glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says we are being changed into that by that work of God's spirit. Would you agree with me this morning and say that God's spirit in you is to conform you to the image of Christ, to make you like him? to deal with everything in you that's not like him, to, to, to crucify it? Would you agree with me? I would like to think that you would. God never lets up. The work that gets done in a Christian to make us well-pleasing in his sight is, the, is something that only God can do. If God doesn't take residence up in your life and do what only he can do, we can never make it to heaven. I don't believe we could make it. All we could do is have a religious experience, an emotional moment, and then draw back, fall back, and somehow hope to the end. Maybe we'll be good enough and it's over. Maybe he'll see the goodness in us is more than the badness, and, and maybe I'll make it because I tried to do, do better. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could do better and go to heaven. Jesus is the only hope you have. It's believing in him that got you started. And once you get started, he's the one that continues the work in you, changing you. That attitude, that little bossy, frustrated, yappy, pouty, ugly, lusty way that you just let happen in your life, that stronghold in your life, Jesus comes in to deal with it. Do you know that? He gives you enough ammunition that you're, not, you're without excuse. He gives you enough information on how to deal with things in your life that if you keep acting like that, you're, you're without excuse. God didn't save you to be a snot, and, and I'm sorry. God does not have a kingdom of little rude people and yet every one of us maybe in some way was rude or whatever, or distant or critical. Maybe all of us were like it, but he didn't save us to leave us like that, did he? I hope to be able to look at you and say in five years, you'll be much further along than you are now. Because in five years, I get to have a 50-year salvation party. Is that right? Good. Good. Think of it, folks, think of it. God has to be inhabiting these chosen vessels with all of our flaws and inconsistencies and problems and hang-ups. And look at all the junk that was formed in our minds in the other life, the home we lived in, the, the education that we had, all the dumb things that we grew up having. God takes residence in our life. And begins the process of identifying that. Look at you. Look how you act. Look how you act. Do you really think Jesus gave you to act like that? No. Well, why do you act like that? Because I want to. I'm hot. I'm mad. I got a mad on here and I don't want to. Well, then you're going to have to get rid of it because that doesn't please the Lord. See, you know these things. How many of you know that only the spirit of God can show you that? And the Bible says, as you look at Jesus, you read about Jesus, talk about Jesus, it is the work of the Spirit of God to transform you, as he said in verse 18, to turn you into the same thing. I think Paul said it in Ephesians 4, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we no longer be like children tossed to and fro by all of these weird doctrines and movements but may grow up in all things into Christ to follow him and to sing the song to be like Jesus to be like Jesus that's all I want because again the more you grow and this comes into focus you begin to grow you don't sit back and say, well, "I just don't like the way this is done. Well, I don't like the way that was done. I don't think God likes the way you're acting either." So, who's worse—the lazy church or your belligerent attitude? Which is worse? Man, I say, that's not tongues. That was just a show. I'm just saying that people act like that having listened to the word for 20 years. They've learned nothing. Or they've limited God and his greatness by denying him access to their will. No, I don't want to do that. That's sermon one. That's the first sermon this morning. We've already had one message. I'm going to close that sermon with this from 2 Timothy 4. You're not that far from it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. I like this because it tells me that Christ is in me to deliver me, to keep me from evil. That's why I don't go back to that stuff. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18 And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. Did I tell you that a while ago? Did I not say that if he called you, he'll keep you? Don't you believe in eternal security? You've got to believe that. Because if you're his, you are secure. You may not know it. That is, you may not feel it. It may not look like it. You may have so many bad days in one week, and you say, I don't know this. See, what you don't know is that you're learning how to lean on the Lord and how to trust in him because you can't make it on your own. Which brings us to our second sermon, our second message today. You get two for one money today, all right? Our second message today is Philippians 4. Would you go back to there? This is our text. I can do all things through Christ who what? strengthens me. I won't keep you here all morning. What I want to do from the last several weeks to today is want to contrast the evil one within you and the difficulty going that way to the good, wonderful promises and good things that can happen when the greater one is in you. You don't get delivered from God. Strongholds deliver you from God. They keep God out. But God's going to come in and he does and he makes his resident up in our heart. He doesn't leave us alone because he loves us. And Paul writes this. He said, I can do all things through Christ because you see, I'm given something to do. I'm given in this world a life to live. There are requirements for me. Having been born again by the power and the grace of God only, I now have a life to live that must be the course of my life that pleases God. I'm given direction through the word. He said, this is the way, walk ye in it, and this is the way I'm supposed to live. So this is what I do. Let me ask you three questions. What are we supposed to be doing? And he said, I can do all things through Christ. What are we supposed to be doing? Second question is, why does he strengthen me? And third question is, how does he strengthen me? Let me just briefly do this. I don't like briefly anything, but let me briefly do this. What does he want us to do? Remember, Philippians 2.13, God is at work in you, what? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Sermon on the Mount says, "Thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven." Not everybody that says in Matthew seven, "Lord, Lord, enter the kingdom," but he that does the will of God. How can I know His will? It can only come by revelation. You can't learn it by some heady person. Only God can give it. Romans 12, 1. Present yourself a living sacrifice unto God. That's first. You got to be willing to give up rights to yourself and let God have control of that which he has purchased with his own blood. That's you. You belong to him, whether you realize it or not. It said, present yourself a living sacrifice unto God. He goes on to say, this is your reasonable service. God not asking you to do something you can't do. It is very reasonable for the purchaser of your life to require you to give your life to him as a living and daily sacrifice. And verse two, this goes with it. And be not conformed to this world, but be, are you with me? Transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That's hopefully why we're here, part of it. Why is our mind supposed to be renewed? So that, one thing, so that we can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. What do I do as a Christian that's acceptable to God if it's not doing the will of God? Are you aware of how much of religion today is not based on God's will but on man's good ideas? And yet, in our way of thinking, it seems really good. Why wouldn't God like that? Why wouldn't that be acceptable to God? Church government, for example. Well, what's wrong with that? And if you say, well, what's right with that? Well, it, uh, it uh, keep going. What do we have without his will? Any of us. If we're not in his will right right now, what are we doing? Nothing just entertaining ourselves, feeling good about religion. Is it God's will for you to hear his word? Is it God's will for me to say it? Well, you know that's true. Is it God's will for you to neglect it? No. Then what do you do with it? You press in. There's things in there that just don't please your flesh. The world made you like that. And you've got to fight the good fight. You're warring against the world's principalities and powers, systems of the devil and systems of the world that corrupt and destroy people. That's what you're fighting. It's so ingrained in you. You don't want to give it up. You don't want to let go of it because you like it. It's entertaining. You're pleased with how you feel about it. And yet God says that's corrupting you. Let go of it, and it's hard. We should preach on something else, people would say, because conviction is something that God uses to turn us in the direction that he wants us to go so he doesn't have to judge us. Y'all believe that God must judge sin? So why does he keep dealing with us about sin? 1 Corinthians 11, so that we would not be judged along with the rest of the world. He doesn't want us to have to go through that. Why does God strengthen me? Why does it say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Why does he strengthen me? What was God's plan for me to be strengthened? Does it mean I have no strength that he's talking about? Right? Does it mean I'm weak? Does it mean I can't even defend myself against powers of darkness without his help? It does. We're all vulnerable. Your cat and your dog in the backyard, hopefully, dog is stronger than you are, except for Bonnie's cat. But uh, that dog can drink out of a bucket. You drink out of a bucket. We got to pray for you. That dog can live under the porch and, and make it through a cold day. You get under the porch, why? You'd be, be stiffer than the board when we drug you out of there in the morning. We're not made. Strong like that. As far as our wills, look how easy people give up. Look how easy it was not to overcome and to give in to your feelings and your passions and your love. Look how easy it was. Look how hard it was to say no when God showed you something to do and you're so weak. We're so flimsy. Our mental game is terrible. Because in our minds, we convince ourselves of what we can't do. And when we don't do it, we justify We say, well, who's perfect? Now it's all right. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. See if you can handle this. I'm sure you can. Paul was writing or talking to the Lord here about the thorn in his flesh, which was the aggravation and the hardship caused by all these people who followed him around to try to discredit everything he said. That's, what, that's how God described thorn in the flesh in the Old Testament, the two or three times this is talked about. So he said here, verse eight, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let me tell you why Paul's thorn was not sickness. Paul went on a lot of missionary journeys. One time he said, he said, the reason so many of you are weak and sickly and then he told them why is because you're not discerning the body of Christ. Now, if he was weak and sickly himself while he was saying that, nobody would believe what he said, would he? And God didn't say his strength is made perfect in sickness. God's glory was made perfect when he removed sickness God said, verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I put the word you're there. So it goes on to say, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that is my weaknesses and inabilities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me ask you a question. When does the power of God rest upon us? when we recognize that we can't do it without his help and we cry out to God, God help me. Why are you crying to me? Because I don't know what to do. I don't have any strength. I can't handle this. This is over my head. This woman, this man, this child, this business, this society, this money thing, this forecast of the world, I I don't know what to do. God says, I'll help you do it. In fact, I'll make you able to cope with that and stand on top of it. That's what I need. I need that. I need the stronger one to give me his strength here. Because look at what he said in the next verse. In verse 10. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, what did he say? When I am weak, then I am strong. God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Can you ever admit that you're weak? I've had brothers tell me, oh, no, brother, I'm not, I'm not weak, not anymore. Well, not in Christ, you're not, no. Christ isn't weak. Being in him, you have his resources for yourself. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me, didn't he? Greater is he that's in you. So it's There. But sometimes you don't experience his strength and power in your life and in your families because you don't see your weakness. I need help. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Those that need help, we don't have enough of it. I am so deficient when it comes to the greater things of the spirit. Lord, I need it. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. How often do you need him? Every hour I need thee. Why? because without his help, I can cope with nothing. I'll fall apart like my parents, my grandparents, brothers, sisters, everybody who before me fell apart in the face of adversity, I will too. I'll fall apart just like they will, unless God strengthens me and gives me something outside of myself so that I can deal with it. I want the power of God to rest upon me. Wouldn't it be nice? To have the power of the Lord to rest upon you. That to be resident in you. That you're literally never afraid. Oh, you have moments. You can hear a noise in the house. Bonnie and I heard a noise. She woke me up and then night. there's something in the kitchen. I'm thinking, oh, oh, I'm not too old for this, but, uh. Oh, I got out of bed and I, oh don't see anything. And you just pray ain't nothing there. You know, no boogerman or nothing. No other kind of man. And I heard a noise in the kitchen, a banging against the door. <laughs> Somebody out there's got scissored hands and <laughs> here he comes. He hadn't maimed an old man in a month, so he's looking for one, see? Well, I ain't old. Next thing you know, the bird feeder was banging against him. It, so it's a raccoon. That's all they're good for. Make you get up at night and eat bird feeders. But, you know, there're going to be times you're going to sense a little fear or a pretty nervy kind of fear. But even then, you know, you can have, if your wife's with you, the blood of Jesus because I thought I'm out of bed by myself. Well, she's round my shoulder. Right? Cause you know. I mean, she'd make it hard on some big old strong man. I mean, that'd be tough. If you would turn to John 15. I, I thank you for turning to all these verses. But I do want you to see this yourself. The fact of the matter is that he has to strengthen me or I... I'm never going to be what I need to be. I can't. I just never will make it. But you notice in John chapter 15, I know you've read this before, but he says it's about what we can and and we cannot do. John chapter 15 and verse 4. He said, you abide in, in me. That's a choice you have to make and I in you. That's the choice he made. As the branch, which is you, cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Who's our source? Christ. What can we do without him? Nothing. You can't even cope. Then he says in the fifth verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me... He said, you can do nothing. You may be somebody in the eyes of somebody, but it amounts to nothing on the day of judgment. I used to carry my Bible, a little saying, and taped it to the front of the inside cover. It said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. That's the truth. Amen. But I have to see that. I've got to see that. You young folks, I don't envy any of you. You're living in a world that's more hostile and vile and more able to trap you and suck you into a deadly system than maybe any time in all of history, especially with the media and the electronic age and all the accessibility you have to filth. Morals are gone. Uh, There's a total disregard for what is pure and right, and every man is doing that like the Bible said, which is right in his own eyes or her own eyes. Today, she's as eager to be filthy as he is. And you're living in that age. The only hope you have is that God will will arrest you, draw you aside and do an absolutely marvelous, deep, astounding work in your heart to make you say, no, not me. I'm not going there. I don't want to do that. I have eternity written on my eyelids and I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up. And I know all of that out there looks like fun. You're, you're physical, your are mental. Oh, man. But it's death. It's death. A man who has no control over his own spirit is like a city whose walls are broken down. The enemy has no problem getting into your life to destroy it. Robbing you, cheating you. Sad thing about it is, 20 years from now, if we're still a world... You'll probably go to church, see if you can get things right together. You can't even listen anymore. God gave you up. He does that. But it doesn't have to be. But he said, without me, you can do nothing. Paul wrote about giving one time to the church at Corinth to give the Thessalonians. He said that God forgive give you all grace that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's what God does. That's why he's in you. That's the power that God put in a Christian. That's the life that he's put inside of your body. This is what you wake up with every morning. The devil wants to smear that and cloud that over and make it in, yeah, you got all, you got the rest of your life for that. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, and he's going to, everything he can. But if you're a Christian, your every day begins with, Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you to guide all of my affairs today. Especially give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Because that means give me that divine ability to make the right decisions with my life. After all, this is what makes the world come to you for help. If you're like them, you, got, you don't have anything they don't have. But the change that God is making in you so that others can tell that you've been with Christ. That you're different. You're above all this stuff. They ask you a reason of the hope that you have. Why would you do that? All of the change that God is making not only makes you more pleasant to Him, but now God can use you. You're useful. Things are happening. Now, in closing, how does He strengthen me? You don't have to open Bible this. Acts 1 8. How does He strengthen you? Two things. His Spirit and His Word. The Word is able to edify you and build you up in Acts 20 and verse 32. The Word is able to do that. And the Word is able to do that because in Acts chapter 1 8 it said, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Didn't he say that? When does power come? When the Spirit comes. What does the power do? Rewind the message. Go back to the front. Start over. That's what he does. This is why he does it. This is what God does. Finally, brethren, he said, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Finally, Shelbyville, be strong in the Lord. Not in your theological prowess, but strong in the Lord. Simply as a child, humbling yourself to him, trusting in him and all the things that he has shown you. Strengthened with all might, let that happen. Let God make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, to be blessed as you go out, to be blessed as you come in, to have a testimony that I am what God is doing. In fact, let me close. If I can find the verse, John 17, verse 21. Jesus is praying in the garden here about you and me. This is what he prayed about us who are his. That they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they may be one in us. Why? You got it right there. That the world may know. Is God saying something to the world through you? When the right things are going on in your life and you're transmitting to the world the deeper work in your life, yes. If you're not sincere and serious, no. But if you are, that the world may know that you sent me. Isn't that great? You know what it is? It's the harmony that is coming to God's people, that you may be one. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I've given to them. We have a common experience, and if we'll let that one common experience rule in our lives, we will become like that one who is bringing us together, Christ, that they all may be one, even as he is one. I and them, verse 23, you and me, That they may be perfect in a unit, in one. This is what God is doing. This is what the greater one in you is doing. This is why he's doing it. It's a simple message. It's as simple as what I've said today. Not complicated at all. In fact, it's so simple that it's a matter of you sitting down and making a decision. Am I willing to live like that? Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the grace and the power and the might that you've given us be experienced by all of us here. That every day, while not having to look for some new exciting thing, but to just reflect back on our beginnings the greatest moment in our life when you saved us and then to be asking ourselves the question since that day where am I? How am I? Am I? Dear God I'm standing before a number of people those who are watching some who just listen to these messages you're the only one that knows the condition the attitude the motivation of every heart in this room Only you. There is nothing that is said or thought by anybody here that you don't already know. May you divinely arrange a path for each one of us that will not only correct us, but that will lead us to the kingdom of God. So that when this life is over, you will be able to say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. I pray that for this church. I ask you to do that. Whatever it takes. In Jesus' name. Amen.